Hello, this is Bill Bonner, and it's Bill Bonner's podcast on Wednesday, the 2nd of October, 2019. A big storm coming, said Patty, a a neighbor, yesterday. Gaunt with sideburns, missing teeth, and a strong cork accent, Patty can be hard to understand. But this was a message we had heard before. Tropical Storm Lorenzo is headed our way, and here's a quote from Bloomberg. Hurricane Lorenzo, the largest storm ever to roam the eastern Atlantic, is forecast to strike the heart of Ireland's west coast within days, carrying tropical strength winds, driving rain, and a huge storm surge. Well, technology has definitely improved our lives. In the old days, the storm would have taken us by surprise. In the 19th century, wooden ships carrying huddled masses of famine victims left Irish ports unaware of what lay out on the vast sea. Often they were swamped and sunk in storms. Today we know better, days, weeks ahead. Ships stay in port until the danger is past. Landlubbers stock up on plywood and toilet paper. Ernest Rutherford first split the atom in 1917. That led to nuclear power, mutually assured destruction, and Hiroshima. Our iPhones have 120 times the computing power of older models, we're told, and infinitely more than the old rotary telephone. And now we have transgender pronouns, too. Surely they're an improvement over the old he and she. All of these new things make us richer, but not necessarily in the way that helps pay our bills. And great financial forms... Sorry, I'm going to do that paragraph again. All of these things still... No, try it once more. All of these new things make us richer, but not necessarily in the way that helps pay our bills. And great financial storms still form far out at sea where no one notices. Despite the accumulation of new things over thousands of years, for example, including the hyperspeed onslaught of newness in the information age, things can still get tough. Henry Ford introduced the Model T in 1908. His goal was a mass-produced automobile that the common man could afford. And here we are. 111 years later, and here's the latest from the Wall Street Journal. America's middle class can't afford their cars. Walk into an auto dealership these days and you might walk out with a seven-year car loan. That means monthly payments that last well past when the brake pads give out and potentially beyond when the car gets traded in for a new one. About a third of auto loans for new vehicles taken in the first half of 2019 had terms of longer than six years, according to credit reporting firm Experian PLC. A decade ago, that number was less than 10%. For many Americans, the availability of loans with longer terms has created an illusion of affordability. Let me try that paragraph again. For many Americans, the availability of loans with longer terms has created an illusion of affordability. It has helped fuel car purchases that would have been out of reach with three, five, or even six-year loans. Well, since 2009, 
The average auto transaction price has gone from 30000 to 40000 That means that the average wage, which has been little changed, let's try this paragraph again. Since 2009, the average auto transaction price has gone from three, no, once more. Since 2009, the average auto transaction price has gone from $30,000 to $40,000. Since the average wage has been little changed, about $23 per hour, that means the time price has gone from about 1,300 hours to about 1,700. When Henry Ford introduced the Model T, the sticker price was $850. Then... With his conveyor belt assembly lines, he was able to get the price down to $360 by 1925. As near as we can figure, hourly wages in 1925 were between $1 and $1.50. So the auto, the basic transportation for the Roaring Twenties, cost the typical wage earner about 350 hours of his time. But now, he must work five times as much to pay for his wheels. Is that progress? Is he richer? Well, you decide. But not only has the automotive technology advanced, so has auto finance. In the 1920s, installment sales were just becoming popular. But the typical buyer still had real money and real savings. Even by the end of the boom in 1929, half of all auto buyers paid cash for their cars. Today, the cash buyer is rare. Auto dealers, who make most of their money from financing cars, not from selling them, scarcely give him the time of day. The buyer with no money, on the other hand, is swaddled in dulcet promises and offered a free cup of coffee. He drives off the lot on a new ride. And with an 84-month-long payment plan, the same length, as an indentured servitude contract in the 18th century. The poor buyer has been forced to go deeper and deeper into debt and is now slave to student loans, housing loans, consumer loans, and auto loans almost in perpetuity. Auto debt alone has nearly doubled since 2009. It's inflate or die in the auto industry. All that debt added since 2009, about $720 billion, only brought back sales to pre-crisis levels. In other words, the only way to stay in the same place is by adding debt. And the only way to do that in the auto finance business is to stretch out the payments. But by the end of the term, the collateral value of the auto has been impaired. Like the mortgage loans of 2007, investors are likely to end up with considerably less than they bargained for. Auto debt and student debt, each is worth about a hundred. Let's try to try this <coughs> paragraph again. Auto debt and student debt are each about 1.3 trillion. Both hit young people especially hard. Elizabeth Warren proposes to forgive $50,000 of student lent. Let's try this one more time. Blah, blah, blah. Auto debt and student debt are around $1.3 each. Both hit young people especially hard. Elizabeth Warren proposes to forgive $50,000 of student debt for everyone who earns less than $100,000. If we had student debt, she'd get our vote. 
But who proposes to forgive auto loans? And who bears the losses? And what about federal debt, up $12 trillion since the crisis and rising at more than $1 trillion per year? What happens when the wheels come off? Yes, dear reader, the sun is still shining. A gentle breeze beckons us out of port. Central banks are planning the biggest coordinated interest rate cuts in world history. The Bank of Japan, frightened by yesterday's bond, bond auction results, is preparing to buy bonds again. France is looking at a huge fiscal stimulus program. Germany and Britain may already be in recession and will be forced to do whatever it takes to revive growth. The Fed urges us to borrow more. The president and his advisors assure us that the Dow will hit 30,000. Warren, Sanders, et al. have their own boom. Let's try this paragraph again, too. (coughs) (coughs) Yes, dear reader, the sun is still shining. A gentle breeze beckons us out of port. Central banks are planning the biggest coordinated interest rate cuts in world history. The Bank of Japan, frightened by yesterday's bond auction results, is preparing to buy bonds again. France is looking at a huge fiscal stimulus program. Germany and, and Britain have already... Okay, I'm going to try it one more time. Yes, dear reader, the sun is still shining. A gentle breeze beckons us out of port. Central banks are planning the biggest coordinated interest rate cuts in world history. The Bank of Japan, frightened by yesterday's bond auction results, is preparing to buy bonds again. France is looking at a huge fiscal stimulus program. Germany and Britain may already be in recession and will be forced to do whatever it takes to revive growth. The Fed urges us to borrow more. The president and his advisors assure us that the Dow will hit 30,000. Warren, Sanders et al. have their own bamboozles waiting for their hour to come round at last. All of these things are fairly modern inventions, fairly modern innovations, mostly in finance. Will they make our lives better? We'll find out soon enough. We hoist the sails and head out onto a sea of debt. Surely there's a big storm out there somewhere. Thank you.